Back to school time is here, and as schools rev up to welcome students back after a long summer off, many will be calling for help to get their kitchens back up and running. Welcome to the debut episode of Service Calls, a podcast brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. Each month, we talk to experts and service techs to bring you the latest news and tips for use in the field. I'm Rob LaFrance, and along with Back to School Prep, coming up, we'll also hear about a worksite cover-up and talk tools. Joining me today for our first segment is Food Service Equipment Reports Editor-in-Chief Kelly Killian. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Rob. So we're talking with Interim Director of Residential Dining at the University of Michigan, Martin Folk, about what service tech should know when helping operators kickstart that equipment that's been sitting idle all summer. Martin, could you briefly tell me about food service at the University of Michigan and what you do? Sure. I oversee the uh, residential side of the the operations, the the dorms where the students live and all the food service within that. We operate nine traditional dining uh, areas or cafes that range from feeding five to 700 meals to eight, up to 8,000 meals a day uh, for each of those units. So on average, we do about 20,000 meals a day during the academic year. We're coming up really quickly on the beginning of the school year, Martin. So thinking of the food service equipment that does sit idle um, and has been sitting idle since the, the end of the regular school year, could you walk us through some of the steps you take to bring some of that equipment back online? So one of the biggest things that we do is actually stepping back even a little bit further to when we take it offline. We, we really look at making sure the, pro- the equipment is being cleaned properly. You know, our staff goes through, we, we keep our staff on, on to do deep cleaning. Uh, we watch how they're cleaning and, and coach them in terms of making sure that they're not using too much water in various pieces of equipment, uh, that they're getting the grease and debris and everything else up. Really deep clean so that it can store for a long period of time because if it's not cleaned properly is what we found is going to be the biggest cause culprit of issues when they start back up so then when we when we do come back into the building and and we start uh equipment back up we'll go through uh inspect the equipment we'll be looking uh at how 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 the equipment's heating up most of this is done just by the operators themselves so if it's grills and ovens and things like that, are, are they coming up to heat as they're uh, supposed to? And then if they're not, or if we suspect that there's uh, problems, that's when we'll call in uh, either our internal maintenance or an external uh, maintenance to come and do calibrations and, and troubleshoot uh, on what the issues could be. When it goes to dish machines and wear washing equipment, one of the big things we do is we, we try to operate have the machine operate a few times uh, during the summer, uh, maybe every other week. We'll have somebody actually go into the unit and fire up the machines just to run some water through because what we found is, is especially during the hot months, the equipment, it, it'll sit and gaskets will dry out. And then when it is fired up, if it's sat for too long, it'll have a significant number of leaks. And with things like that, are you fixing them as you notice the problems or are you noting them for um, that period of time in August right before you start to fire everything up? Typically, we'll fix things as soon as we see it. As soon as we see the issue with with items, we'll we'll fix it. Great. And any uh, special tips or or steps that you take with regard to your cold storage or walk-ins? 
Yeah, uh, cold storage and walk-ins can be a, a tricky one. Um, for us on campus, some of that, a lot of that goes into identifying which units are going to be shut down, uh, which, one, which ones will stay up. We do shut a few of them down uh, across campus to try and conserve energy uh, in the units that are not operating. Uh, some of the other ones will maintain very uh, minimal inventory in them. And then uh, on units that we shut down completely, we will work with our plant department and they will come th throughout the summer months, uh, throughout all of campus, our plant department works on a preventive maintenance program. So they'll come in, clean the coils, blow out the compressor, evaporator, um, check the drain lines and things like that. So that typically all, all of our refrigeration is, is PM in the summertime, once in the summer and once in the winter. If we shut down ice machines, for instance, uh, those will typically get shut down and, and drained. And then shortly before returning, we'll fire them back up. Uh, for, well, first we'll do a sanitizing, clean and sanitizing process on them with our uh, maintenance uh, team. And then uh, we'll fire them back up and, and see that they're operating right. All right, Martin, take us to the front of the house. What's the process for hot, cold drop-ins, beverage dispensers, display cases, and such to get them ready for service? In the front of the house, you know, it's the, the drop-in refrigeration units are very similar in terms of make, we do all the same PM service on those. The hot wells, that falls back into how they were shut, the, the shutdown, when we see that they're shut down properly. In regards to what uh, service technicians can do in, in that area, it, it's really about uh, calibrating. They'll, they'll go through and they'll check door gaskets. They'll check temperature control knobs, thermostats on, on items, calibration of, of, of equipment that, that is able to be calibrated. And then we'll also do things for beverage dispensers, uh, the clean and sanitizing of the uh, of the ice bins and ice hoppers on those, as well as uh, blowing out beverage lines. And it sounds like things get really, really busy uh, right before school begins again in August, as you said. Um, but what what would you say is the ideal timeline for performing some of these tasks? It sounds like um, there may be some things that you do throughout the summer, but really how many days ahead of uh, operation are you uh, starting these processes? So typically we'll ask the man, the teams, the, the manager, not, not the whole team, but like the manager will start doing walkthroughs of their unit within the first week or, or sec, within the first or second week of August. And that helps them start their list of, of, of areas of concern that need to be addressed. As we get closer to the middle of August, that, that's typically about two weeks out from when it starts really gearing up. They'll start firing up the equipment a little bit more regularly because sometimes you won't see it, an issue with a piece of equipment if you just turn it on. It heats up, you're good, and then and then you turn it off. But it's when you start turning it on every day for a length of time that you realize that hey, this isn't working right. So we need to we need to have somebody come out and take a look at this. So when you start flipping the on switch for all of this equipment, what's the what's the most common challenge you come across? One of the biggest things that we run into would be uh, ovens and having them operate as they're supposed to from uh, in, with the temperature. But again, the biggest correction on it tends to be how well things were closed down. 
the dish machines are a huge one in, in that regard. They're a vital piece of equipment to us. Uh, nobody likes doing dishes, but then the, the cost of serving on paper, if we have to shut down a machine to, to wait for a part or something like that, you know, it, it's expensive. So uh, any other advice for service techs when it comes to bringing idle equipment back online? Uh, listen to the operators. Um, and uh, if there's any way in the world to keep an inventory of, of the parts on the truck so that, you know, we're able to get the, the piece of equipment up, uh, you know, if it's if it's a thermostat or something uh, that could be carried on the truck, that, that would be awesome. And then, of course, the favorite is, is picking the right time to come in. If uh, if they come into an operation in the middle of serving, you know, eighteen hundred lunches, there's going to be a problem, <laughs> and that's where you know having a good relationship with the people who are who are providing the service is is crucial. All right. Thank you, Martin. That was Interim Director of Residential Dining at the University of Michigan, Martin Folk, and good luck feeding the masses there in the upcoming school year. Up next, we call this from the field. So there are a few things more frustrating than cleaning up after work done by an unqualified installer. And we're talking to someone who's had a lot of experience in that area. Safesa's Dan Reese has seen it all. Hey, Dan. Hey, Rob. How are you? Good, good. So several years ago, when you were working for a service company in Tampa, Florida, you sent one of your technicians out on a call to a university, which was having issues with a newly installed boiler-based steamer. And after diagnosing the problem, he came across an attempted cover-up. Well, the original call was that the boiler wouldn't fill with water and they smelled gas. So when my service tech got there, he found that the plumber had piped the gas line to the water fill solenoid and he had pipe the water line to the gas line going to the unit. So the problem, easy to diagnose, but the original tech stood by his work and ultimately blamed the manufacturer. Yes. Uh, his his uh, reasoning, he said, was that the factory had tagged the unit incorrectly as far as where the utilities connected. And we looked at it and, you know, that's where my service technician called me out to the job site was because the plumber was standing by his statement that it was tagged wrong. And what he did is he took the tag off the gas line and put it on the water line and took the gas or the tag off the water line and put it on the gas line and then made it look like it was tagged incorrectly. The problem with that was those tags are put on with a machine. So the, the wire that holds them on is wound very tight and there's no way you could duplicate that without that machine. And he tried to do it with his hands. It's very much, Rob, like if you open a loaf of bread with the twist tie and then try to put it back on exactly how it came from the bakery. It'll never happen. Right. It'll never happen. And that's what happened in this scenario. So he kind of made it look like the factory tagged it wrong. So he did it correctly based on what the tag said. And what's even more frustrating about this, he should have realized something was up, right? Because you told me he did a lot of extra work to make things fit. The odd thing about it was he took a inch and a quarter inch black pipe gas line and pushed it all the way down to a three eighths brass fitting solenoid to fill the water. And then he did the opposite with the water line. He took a half inch copper line and pushed it up to where it would won't go fit into a three quarter inch line to the gas valve. So, I mean, what he did is kind of the opposite of what you would do in plumbing. So that first mistake was he didn't know what he was doing. Uh, never seen the piece of equipment before, never read. It, com- it comes with a manual, it comes with an install guide. He never read that, he didn't do anything. He just kind of saw pipes, 
put them on and then when it wouldn't fill and they could smell gas, that's when they called us. And when we went up there, that's what we found. So now it's gone way beyond just, you know, covering your butt. This put the customer in potentially a really dangerous situation. Correct. Yes, it very well could have because the reason they could smell gas was the boiler had filled with gas and it was coming out of what they call a vent right, which leaks the air out of a boiler prior to it coming up to pressure. So it was just leaking the gas right out. So he filled the boiler with gas. The gas was coming out of the vent right. And that's why they could smell the gas. So I guess you could say this is one of those textbook examples where an effort to save a little money wound up making things a whole lot more costly. Right, And that's a great point. One guy's incorrect installation involved the reps, the dealers, the factory, a plumber, the owner of the plumbing company, the service company, the serv- myself as the service company owner. All of those people got involved because he incorrectly installed a gas line and a water line. So what's your advice for techs who, you know, get the job, know what they have to do, but don't know what they're in for until they arrive at the site and get a look at things for the first time? Well, when we teach our technicians to do installation, we tell them exactly the to look at the whole piece of equipment. Don't just zero in on, you know, turning it on and go. Make sure that the, the unit has been properly installed. Make sure that the water, drain, gas, everything is connected correctly before they even attempt to start it up. If there's a problem, don't start it up. Let's got to get that problem solved right away. All right. Thanks a lot. That was Dan Reese with the Commercial Food Equipment Service Association. Next up, let's talk nuts and bolts. In this segment, we get tips from techs like you who spend their days in the field. And this time we're talking about the surprising things you carry on your trucks. You know, besides the standard stuff, everyone has a few go-to items in their toolbox. Maybe they're extra parts or simple hacks. Things you use to make you more efficient on the job. By the way, the last one is voiced by a colleague of mine from an email reply. First up, we have cooking equipment specialist, sales manager, and customer advocate in Mesquite, Texas, Mark Burden, who says you're likely already carrying one of these around. I think that the surprising tool that a tech has on their truck is one that any person who drives a motor vehicle should have in their truck or car. A floor jack, preferably a bigger one for large vehicles and not one that comes with a compact car. I have seen on many jobs where a technician was alone and needed assistance with moving or lifting a heavier unit instead of having to wait for another technician to arrive to help the tech on site the jack can be used by a tech working alone to lift a piece of equipment sometimes a technician needs to get underneath a unit for access also a great tool to help a single technician change out casters and legs that can often break and wear down over time if it can lift a vehicle that weighs several thousand pounds it can help with equipment that has substantial weight next up electric motor repair training and safety manager greg smith says you must have a screw loose if you don't do this it is near impossible to anticipate what one might need from job to job to not be able to finish repair because you need one more screw is frustrating nuts bolts and screws ordering screws from a factory almost always holds up the order Try to keep a kit of standards on your truck and never throw away old nuts, bolts, and screws. If you remove a part and it has screws on it, take them off and save them. Try to 
<laughs> Try to keep some new ones and never throw away the old ones. And Safesa Master Technician at Sam Service Inc. in Albany, Georgia, Nick Blankenship has this attractive advice. After considering the topic and looking through my van thinking that there really wasn't anything special or out of the ordinary that I use, I did come across one thing that I keep that is a little weird. I and several of my fellow techs at Sam Service keep magnets that we pull out of damaged magnetrons used in commercial microwaves. <laughs> These magnets are very strong and they come in handy in several situations in the field. I've used them for holding tools, keeping screws and bolts all in one place, as well as uh, picking up screws and bolts that I've dropped. I've even used them to check solenoid valves on water and refrigerant lines. There are many innovative techs in our field who repurpose leftover parts and materials and use them for all kinds of cool hacks. So if you're in need of a strong magnet and you don't feel like buying one, find an old magnetron around your shop and pull them out of it. Do you have any tips or hacks to share with your fellow techs? Well, if you do, write us an email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by Heritage Parts in partnership with Food Service Equipment Report. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Rob LaFrance. <laughs>